0: Welcome to The Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. Well, in this episode, I am flying solo. Um, The the goal is that Ryan and I will get together again in the next episode, but for today, it's just me. And the goal is to walk through Isaiah 49 together. Um, If you remember just a brief review of the things we've been looking at in this larger section of Isaiah. The overall message is comfort. Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, oh, comfort my people. And it's this beautiful, rich tapestry that is this message of comfort to those who are in exile. And that comfort is grounded in the promise of God that the people will return and that he'll bring restoration to the people. Some of the major ideas or themes that we've seen woven throughout this rich tapestry, first is the oneness or otherness of God. Um, he and and His oneness or otherness over the other gods, and with that 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 repeated message or drumbeat of of the greatness and vastness of God, we see His reliability to carry out his purposes, which means salvation and restoration for Israel. And with that, that means Israel can put their trust in him. And then the third thing that we see is that this work that God is doing for Israel will ultimately affect all the nations, that God would be known and honored among the nations, and that this salvation would be to the ends of the earth, right? And so those are the, those are the, big ideas that continue to flow through um, this section of Isaiah, these these, these sections that are chapters 40 through 55. One other thing we see, though, is this language of the servant or my servant or Yahweh's servant. Um, And that servant language is integral to the plot of this larger poem collection. On one hand, we see Israel as God's servant. Um, Yet there's this other servant that is this representative of Israel who's the agent of God's purposes to bring restoration to Israel and bring justice to the nations. And so we're going to begin by learning more about this servant in Isaiah chapter 49. So we've read through this in a previous recording, um, but I want to dive into the text now. And so in the first seven verses of Isaiah 49, we're seeing the mission of the servant for Israel and for the nations. Um, The section opens up with this powerful call, listen, listen to me. And, And what's really cool, special about this section is that we're hearing this from the perspective, not of Isaiah about the servant, but from the perspective of the servant himself. The servant is speaking and describing his call, describing his his mission that God has given him, and we see at the end of verse one that that this servant has been called from his mother's womb, um, this prenatal call. Um, and and in verse two, we see the way that God has equipped him and protected him. He's made his mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he's concealed me. He's made me a select arrow. And he's equipped, he's hidden me in his quiver, right? So this this sort of dual language of equipping and protection. And then there's this declaration in verse three. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. And yet in verse four, we we start to see the idea of maybe things aren't going smoothly or that there's going to be some resistance or struggle. He talks about the vanity of this mission Yet, despite that, the servant is entrusting himself to God. He says, surely the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Uh, I couldn't help but think about this language that we read about in 1 Peter, where it talks about he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, right? Um, and, and, And we see that glimpsed here in Isaiah 49 and verse 4. But then in verses 5 through 6, we're starting to see this mission described, and we've already seen this idea of him, his work for Israel and restoring them and also restoring them to their intended God-given vocation, as well as this idea of justice to the nations. We're seeing those same themes brought back together again in 5 through 6. Listen to this. He says, Now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? Yes, of course, he is the servant of God. For Israel, he's that representative of Israel. He's going to bring Israel back, but it's almost as if that's too small for this that that job, that mission is too small of a thing for this servant. He he, his mission will be nothing less than being light to all nations, bringing God's salvation to the very ends of the earth. And in verse seven, then we see this promise of success, right? Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, its holy one, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise. Princes will bow down because of God who is faithful. Right. And again, the the very bedrock of this entire section is Yahweh is faithful. God is faithful. Right. So again, that's this portrait of the servant that we're seeing and particularly his calling and his mission for Israel and the nations. But then we move on to 8 through 26 and we step away from the servant to go back to this picture of return and restoration for Israel. This is going to bring comfort for Israel and the knowledge of God among the nations. That's what we're seeing in 8 through the rest of the chapter. And so as we turn to, to verse 8, we're seeing how God is bringing them back. He, he, he says He's restoring the land, uh, making this, the, them inherit these desolate heritages. But li- listen to, to nine and 10. This, this is so beautiful to me. It's a, a just really beautiful and rich picture of this return and restoration. It says He's doing that, saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness, Show yourselves along the roads they will feed and their pasture will be on the bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down for he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. You think about uh, historically, literally what a trek back from Babylon to Israel would be and the long, difficult journey that that would mean. And yet God describes that journey um, not as one of destitution and difficulty, but one in which he will abundantly provide, right? No hunger, no thirst, no, no sun or heat striking them down or scorching them, but he's bringing them to springs of water. Even even language of this this mountain road building that we saw back at chapter 40. I'll make my mountains a road. My highways will be raised up. So again, it's not even a difficult hike, but just this smooth path that God's making for them. And so then the result of this in verse 13, shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Um, If Ryan were with me, he would, he would want to say that even louder than I am, right? He would say, shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, break forth into joyful shouting. And he'd probably be clapping his hands and things like that too. Even, even when I did that there, I still wasn't, uh, didn't quite capture his energetic spirit. But, um, anyway, if you've listened to this long enough for, uh, know him, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, So so again, this picture of return, this picture of restoration, that is comfort and joy, right? But we turn to verse 14 and we start to see this sense that Zion, that the people of God feel forsaken. They say, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This time of exile would have been so demoralizing, so um, just robbing them of dignity and um, identity and all those kinds of things. And it's as if God's just abandoned us. God's forgotten us. You can, you can, by little stretch of the imagination, understand how easily those thoughts could consume the people of God. And yet he's so quick here in verse 15 to reassure them that that is far from the truth. He says can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb even these may forget but I will not forget you it, it's absurd to imagine a mother forgetting her child right um no mother would ever forget her child um whether uh, that child dies as in miscarriage or um Early on after birth or any any sequence of events, the mother would never forget her nursing child. And yet God says, even these may forget. I would never forget. I would never forsake. He says, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. And so he describes then in the verses that follow the way those who've destroyed and devastated, God is going to deal with them. And God is going to turn around that destruction devastation so that in verse uh, uh, 18, they'll be as jewels on their neck, right? That's the reversal that's taking place. That's the elevation and exaltation that Israel will enjoy and and know that even those who devastated them will now be jewels on their neck from waste places and desolate places in verse 19 to this bounty. And so then in verse 20, um, the, again, more language of m- mothers and children. But look again at this great reversal that takes place. It says in verse 20, uh, 21, then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I've been bereaved of my children and in barren an exile and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? Do you see the picture that's being described there? It's it's said in language that may be a little difficult for us, like uh, at a first glance. But do you hear what's being said there? That that God in this verse is envisioning a day when Israel will be, uh, you know, using this metaphor of of barrenness to fertility. That Israel will have so many children, um, they won't know where they came from. <laughs> you know, it says, it "says Where did these come from? Um, who has who has born these for me?" All of a sudden, there's all these children, and wondering where did they come from. Right? That you know, if you can imagine a, a, a mother that's that's struggled to conceive, that struggled to get pregnant and and the the pain and the difficulty um uh, of that time in every way and yet to go from that place of barrenness to just all of a sudden you've got children running out your ears um your life is only known by uh children screaming and crying and laughing and playing and all the stuff that goes along with parenthood but in this you know crazy uh, uh, abundant way and you just step back and you say where did all these kids come from that's what, that's what God's saying will happen to Israel. They'll go such from barrenness to fruitfulness, to bounty. That'll be the reversal, the power, the transformation that God will bring about. And so then in the very last little section, we we see in verses 22 through 26, again, just reassuring this, this fundamental point, God will bring them back from exile. And again, the impact that this will have beyond Israel, all will know. And so let's just conclude by reading 22 through 26. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Right Again, you will go out, but not just, not, not just going to sneak out. He says in verse 23, kings will be your guardians. And their princesses, your nurses, right? They're going to have this protection. It's it's sort of a little bit reminiscent when uh, Israel went out of Egypt. He talked about how the Egyptians would just basically give them all their gold and treasure just to say, get out of here. Here now, kings are guarding them, princesses nursing them and caring for them, providing for them. They'll bow down to you with their faces to the earth and list, lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am Yahweh. And those who hopefully, filled with hope, wait for me, will not be put to shame. And then jump on down to verse 25. Surely thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I will save your sons. No one will be left right? There's no situation that's too great for God. All of them will go free. And he says in verse 26, I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. They will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine, right? He describes the total um, defeat uh, and overthrow of their captors, of their oppressors. And again, this outcome, all flesh will know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So again, we're seeing more rich pictures of this; these themes woven together as we've seen throughout this section. The, the reliability, the faithfulness, the power of God to accomplish his purposes, the certainty that Israel will return, that Zion will be restored. And we see more echoes of the impact that that declaration, that story, that message will have among the nations that all will know that salvation will come to the ends of the earth, that light will come to all the nations. Um, and so next time, uh, as we get into chapters 50 through uh, and following, we're going to see the way this story continues. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According To podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns.